don't get your eye poked out. I think that's good counsel. <laughs> uh, you'll see how it applies in our text. But let me remind you where we are in First Samuel. Um, Saul has just been anointed king by the prophet Samuel. He has been uh, announced to the people. Saul has uh, been proclaimed. The people have embraced him. We saw in chapter 10, long live the king. You know, the people have been waiting for a king. They wanted a king so desperately. Samuel said, you know, the Lord is your king. No, no, give us a king like all the other nations, they said. And so Samuel said, okay, God will grant this request, but this is not his plan A for you at this time. However, God will give you a king, and Saul is the one that was selected. Now, most of the people embraced Saul because he was taller and handsome than anybody else in Israel. I mean, he was the GQ king, if ever there was one. He was the perfect outward uh, appearance of a king. But there were some who did not uh, receive him. As always there is, there are some who rebel, even against those that God has called to lead. And uh, you'll remember in chapter 10, the last verse there, verse 27, but some rebels said, how can this man save us? So they despised him and brought him no presents, but he held his peace. They saw the man... And they asked the question, how can this man save us? They should have been asking, how can God save us through this man that he has chosen to use as his vessel? But chapter 11 is going to be God now really establishing Saul as king in the nation. He's been anointed, he's been embraced, but now he's going to demonstrate that that God is truly with him to lead God's people at this time of history. Pick it up with me, chapter 11, verse 1. Then Nahash the Ammonite came up and encamped against Jabesh-Gilead. And all the men of Jabesh said to Nahash, Make a covenant with us and we will serve you. And Nahash the Ammonites answered them, On this condition I will make a covenant with you, that I may put out all your right eyes and bring reproach on all Israel. And then the elders of Jabesh said to him, Hold off for seven days that we may send messengers to all the territory of Israel. And then, if there is no one to save us, we will come out to you. Jabesh Gilead was a community, a city inhabited by the people of Israel. It's down in the southern area, actually east of the Jordan River. This area was a, a city uh, that was you know, lived in by the children of Israel, but the Ammonites, and led by this man Nahash, they had come and encamped around the city, laid siege to the city. The city would have been protected to some degree by walls, and so the enemy would encamp around them, putting them on notice. We are here to destroy you. We are here to break into your city, kill you, and plunder your goods. And so Jabesh Gilead, the men of Jabesh Gilead, they they see this, that their city is surrounded, and so they send out someone to kind of try and negotiate peace. And they said, listen, um, make a covenant with us. In other words, promise not to kill us, and we will serve you. We will, you know, be your servants. And, you know, they try to offer a compromise because they're in fear of their life. And uh, Nahash, the Ammonite, he cuts a pretty hard bargain. He says, sure, I'll spare your life, but here are the terms. 
I will put out the right eye of each of each of the men, which would therefore limit their ability to fight back and any rebellion in the future. He says, we want to put out your right eye and we want to bring reproach on all of Israel. We want to humiliate you. We want to everyone to know that you have been shamed in defeat. And the people of Jabesh Gilead said, well, hold off for seven days. Just give us a week to think about this. And in the meantime, they're going to consider their options and they're going to determine if there's anybody that will come and save them. So this is the setting that Saul is going to have opportunity to kind of rise to the occasion. But what we see here is somewhat tragic. These are God's people living in God's promised land, the land that he had given to them, the land that he had given them to live in a, in a, in a place of peace and security. God had promised to defend them, to give them victory over their enemies. God had promised to provide for them that they would be bountiful and blessed in the land that he had promised. And here they are now living in so much less than what God had planned and purposed for them. They're living in fear. They're living in in, in, uh, intimidation. They're living in fear of their life. Now we notice the tactics of the enemy here. First of all, he, he surrounded them. A sense of being overwhelmed, no way out. This is the way the enemy likes to work, and even the enemy of our soul uh, engages in these types of tactics. This idea of of not having any way out of my circumstance. It's going to be impossible to get through this. Fear and intimidation. We will pluck your eyes out. We will bring reproach, and you will serve us. Verse 3 is very important. In their hearts they cry out, if there is no one to save us, we will come out to you. We will have to surrender to these terms if there is no one to save us. At this place in time, they realize that they need a Savior. And this is probably the one good quality that's going on in the nation. Now, they're in this condition because of their own compromise. They're in this condition because they have departed in their relationship and worship of the true and living God. They've allowed themselves to take on the pagan gods of the culture around them. They have sunk into the, into the culture that surrounds and they have lost their, their vital walk and connection with God. And so God has allowed that wall of protection to kind of diminish and now the enemies are pushing in. And yet, at this moment, they realize we need a Savior. We need someone to save us. And, of course, this is exactly the heart that God was hoping to produce. God allows these enemies to come in and to press in. He allows them to experience something of the hardship of their choices so that they will come to themselves and realize we're in trouble. We can't just live this way and not you know, and not have any consequence. We need someone to save us. And this is the heart that God is looking for in all of our lives, that dependence upon him. If you don't know the Lord, God is wanting you to come to the realization that that you need a savior. You need someone to rescue you from your sin, from, from the emptiness of your life, from the eternal consequence coming as you stand in judgment for your life. If you know the Lord and you are living in compromise, God wants you to come to your senses as well. I need to come back to my Savior. I need to come back to the one 
that has rescued me. This is, I'm living in something less. This is not what God had promised. This is not the victorious Christian life that I believe God has for me. I'm, I'm, I've settled. And now here I am. The enemy is encircling me and threatening me. And I'm going to get one of my eyes poked out if God doesn't save. You may be in this situation, not necessarily because you're you know, unsaved or even in compromise. Sometimes the enemy is able to bully us simply because we don't stand on the promises that God has given us. You're not necessarily living in compromise, but you're living in unbelief. You're allowing the enemy and the circumstance to surround and overwhelm and intimidate you to where you are feeling as though you have you know, no voice. And you're living in something less. And this moment in verse 3, they know that they need one to save us, that save them. And that's the key to beginning to get out and get delivered. And now we'll see that the Lord is going to provide a Savior in, this, in, the, in the person of Saul. Pick it up now in verse 4. So the messengers came to Gibeah of Saul and told the news of the hearing of the people. So word is going out now. Jabesh Gilead is in trouble. And the messengers have come. Now they've come to the town where Saul lives. And all the people lifted up their voices and they wept. Oh, how sh- what a shame. The people of Jabesh Gilead are in a big pickle now. We all can be sorry for them. Verse 5. Now there was Saul coming behind the herd from the field, and Saul said, What troubles the people that they weep? And they told him the words of the men of Jabesh. Then the Spirit of God came upon Saul when he heard this news, and his anger was greatly aroused. So he took a yoke of oxen, and cut them in pieces, and sent them throughout all the territory of Israel by the hands of messengers, saying, Whoever does not go out with Saul and Samuel to battle, so it shall be done to his oxen. And the fear of the Lord fell on the people, and they came out with one consent. When he numbered them in Bezek, the children of Israel were 300,000, and the men of Judah 30,000. So... The news goes out. Jabesh Gilead's in trouble. The people hear the news and they begin to weep for them. Saul hears the news and the Spirit of God comes upon him. And there is this holy indignation that rises up in him. The Spirit of God comes upon him and he becomes angry. It's not a selfish anger. It's not some, you know, he's been personally offended type of an anger. it's It's a righteous anger. It's a concern for the Lord's cause among his people. How dare the enemies of God come and threaten God's chosen people. Something in Saul is now connected for the people. And that's the result of the Spirit of God. Remember, we looked at last week how the Spirit of God, it says that God gave him a new heart. And we see Saul, you know, he he is now connected with the future of the people. He now has a, a deep concern, and it's from the Lord. He's burdened for the security and the safety of God's people. Prior to this, Saul was just a young man in the community. He probably would have heard the news and began to weep with everybody else. What a shame. Oh, my goodness. But now he's been called by God, and God has put something in his heart, a zeal, a zeal for the Lord, a zeal for his people. I would encourage you tonight to ask the Lord 
what are you zealous for? What, what stirs you? What, 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 some, what you know, strikes a chord in your heart where you rise up and rise up in, in a sense of, you know, something's got to be done. I've got to pray. I've got to, I've got to witness. I've got to rise up in my family. I've got to rise up in this situation rather than just, whoa, how terrible, how terrible. Now, there's not always a time that we can do anything, but I, I think God would call us to be stirred when we see things going on. When we see the enemy making advances, oh, the devil, he's so strong. Oh, look at the youth of our culture. Oh, my goodness, it's terrible, it's terrible, it's horrible. Yes, but we need to rise up. But God is on the throne. God is stronger. We are light, we are salt. It's time for us to engage this darkened culture. That there would be a zeal that come into our hearts. Verse 7, boy, Saul is not only is he stirred up, but he stirs up the people, his poor oxen. That would be their last trip. He cuts up his ox, sacrificial oxen, and he sends it out to the land. And he says, you come fight with me. We're going to defend our brethren. And if not, if you don't come out with me and Samuel, then we'll be looking for your oxen. And this is, is a, a moment where, the, where leadership, spiritual leadership, Inspired by the Lord, stirred by God, stirs the people. And, and it's a, I think it's a good thing. I think it's a good quality here that I see in Saul. I don't know if I recommend this method of killing oxen, but you get the idea. Something, something drastic has to be done because the, the circumstances are drastic. And he wants to send a clear message. It reminded me of the Apostle Paul encouraging Timothy. In 2 Timothy chapter 1, in verse 6, he says, Therefore I remind you to stir up the gift of God which is in you through the laying on of my hands. For God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. Timothy was a young minister who also had moments of discouragement and insecurity and being over, feeling overwhelmed. And the Apostle Paul writes to him, Timothy, Stir it up. God is with you. There's a gift of God that's been imparted to you. You're called of God. God has purpose and ministry for you. It's, the fear is not coming from Him. He's not given you a spirit of fear. He's given you a spirit of power, love, and a sound mind. Stir up that gift. Rise up in God for the occasion that He has placed, placed before you. Sometimes we're too afraid. Sometimes we, we, we don't want to get involved. It's none of my business. I don't want to say anything. Um, you know, and, and I have to say, and I say this to my own heart, listen, if not you, who? And if not now, when? You may be in a situation for such a time as this. This may be your moment to rise up in the Lord and to engage in prayer and to engage in, in trying to make impact in your family, in your workplace, in our community. It's time to be stirred up in the Lord. Are we burdened about the things that we see going on? Listen, you see the news. You know that Christians are being martyred all over the world. Does that trouble us? Does that move us at least to prayer? 
Does it, does it gather us in some way that the, as we see, you know, Satan, satanic forces just, you know, marching through the Middle East and gathering Christians and, and doing horrible things? Do, are we not moved as believers or are, are we too comfortable? Are we just, you know, it's kind of out of sight, out of mind. I would say stir up the gift, believer. It may be time to pray. You know, we, uh, we recently did a home fellowship on the subject of prayer. And, um, you know, there was, a, there was a real stirring in those who participated in the power of prayer. I say this now because I, I'm telling you, there's going to be, I'm going to be announcing more of this in the future. I, I really am feeling that we need to be praying. And uh, not that we don't pray, but I think we need to be more focused in our prayer. I think we need to have more opportunity as for prayer, and we need to really establish a ministry of prayer. And uh, we've already done some initial groundwork. We have some leadership praying, and, and we're getting organized, but I'm, I'm, I'm challenging you. you look, we can pray. You know, I can't go over there and fight ISIS, you know, but I can pray. I can fight them from here in the spirit, and so can you. And, and, and we must be stirred by this. Listen, this, these are the end of days. We're living in, the, in, in you can see the darkness gathering, and uh, we've got to be moved. It's time to be stirred up, time to pray. Verse 9, and they said to the messengers who came, Thus you shall say to the man of Jabesh-Gilead, so the army is gathered. They got 330,000. Now they're sending message to Jabesh Gilead. You shall say to the men of Jabesh Gilead, tomorrow by the, t- by the time the sun is hot, you shall have help. Help is on the way. God has rallied his troops. Then the messengers came and reported it to the men of Jabesh, and they were glad. I'll bet they were. <laughs> and therefore the men of Jabesh said, now listen how clever they are. They said they send word out to the enemy, Nahash and all the Ammonites, that tomorrow we will come out to you and you may do with us whatever seems good to you. You're setting them up, right? They know now help is on the way. Okay, enemy, we'll be out, but prepare yourself. Almost like we're coming out to surrender. That's the mindset that they give them. But now they know God is on the move in the forces of Saul and, and his army. Pick it up now in verse 11. So it was on the next day that Saul put the people in three companies and they came into the midst of the camp in the morning watch and they killed Ammonites until the heat of the day. And it happened that those who survived were scattered so that no two of them were left together. Then the people said to Samuel, Who is he who said, Shall Saul reign over us? Bring the men that we may put them to death. But Saul said, Not a man shall be put to death this day, for today the Lord has accomplished salvation in Israel. Then Samuel said to the people, Come, let us go up to Gilgal and renew the kingdom there. So all the people went to Gilgal, and there they made Saul king before the Lord in Gilgal. And there they made sacrifices of peace offerings before the Lord. And there Saul and all the men of Israel rejoiced greatly. 
Saul puts these puts this army together. He divides them into three companies. No doubt the Lord giving him wisdom. He was not a, a general. He was just a young man, grew up in, in town. But now God, the Spirit of God has come upon him. And he, he puts together this strategy and the enemy is routed. These big hot shots, come out here, we're going to put your eyes out. They were put to flight and uh, not two of them left together. But you notice after this battle, after this victory, now the people really see Saul as God's king for them. And so this voice rises up. Who said, shall Saul reign over us? Remember we read back in chapter 10, there were some men that said, how can this man save us? They doubted Saul. Well, now the people are upset. Who are those guys? Who were those doubters? Let's get them out here and let's put them to death. Who would have ever doubted Saul. Look what a great king he's turned out to be. Well, Saul, uh, in, his, in I believe, really, a, a moment of leadership. And this is, again, Saul began so well. Now, we know something of Saul's future, those of you that know the story. But, but it's, a, it's good to see this good beginning. And, and, and Saul, in verse 13, he said, Not a man shall be put to death this day. For today the Lord has accomplished salvation in Israel. Saul could have used this as an opportunity. Yeah, who are who were those doubters? Now's my chance to exact revenge. He could have been insecure in his leadership and looked to take opportunity to avenge. But he didn't. He's humble in this moment. He doesn't need to defend his honor. He's secure in what God has done. Not no man shall no one shall die today. This is something that God has done. He acknowledges that he doesn't need to defend himself, and he also acknowledges that he he should not be taking credit for this victory. This is a good start for a good leader. He recognizes that God has placed him. He does not have to defend himself, and he realizes that the victory has come from the Lord. And that's good counsel for anybody to be used in ministry. You don't call yourself. You don't appoint yourself. You don't exalt yourself. God places you and gives opportunity for you to serve. And whatever good, whatever fruit, whatever true ministry would flow, it's by the grace of God. Only by the grace of God. Insecurity and pride would eventually stumble Saul. But we see here that he begins well. Samuel leads them up to Gilgal and they have this worship celebration. Saul is confirmed as king. Beautiful testimony of God delivering his people in their moment of crisis. I want to close tonight with just um, an opportunity to pray for some of you. And I want to ask you this question. Are you living in less? Are you, are you settling for something less than what the Lord has for you? And three thoughts um, kind of came to my heart and I've already kind of mentioned them, but I want to focus on them a little bit more as we have just a little bit of time left here tonight. It may be um, that you are living in less because you're, you're living unsaved. You may be here tonight and you don't have a relationship with God. And you're wondering why your life is in crisis to crisis. And it may be that God is asking, trying to create in you a heart that would say, who will save me? 
Who can save me from my sin? Who can save me from the, you know, the consequences of my sin and the addictions and the, and the trouble and the drama of my life? I'm, I'm, I'm tired of it. I'm sick of it. And it may be that you need to call on Jesus. You know, Jesus is the ultimate Savior. Saul is a type of, of a Savior in this, this passage, but Jesus is the ultimate King. And he is the one who came for you and died on the cross and paid the price for your sin, that you might know forgiveness, that you might might have eternal life. And that may be what some of you need here tonight. You just need to receive Christ and, and ask him to forgive you and invite him to be the Lord and Savior of your life. Some of you may be living in less because although you are a Christian, although you have come to faith in Christ, you're living in a place of compromise. And this happens even in believers' lives. And I want to say to you that Satan cannot take ground from you. He can only take what you surrender to him. And a life that is compromising is a life that is surrendering territory to the enemy. The people of Jabesh Gilead were in their crisis because they had surrendered territory. They had surrendered their worship life. They had surrendered the protection of God around them. And God is now allowing the enemies to enclose on them because they're living in compromise. And that may be why, why you're struggling. That, you may be wondering, you know, why, why, are, why am I in this impossible situation? Why am I feeling overwhelmed and, and, and anxious and fearful? It could be the consequences of your own compromise. You know, as you compromise, the, the, the enemy takes advantage and you yield that territory to him. And it may be tonight that you need to repent and be set free. Rise up and say, enough. It's time to live for Jesus. It's time to invite his saving grace back into my life and quit surrendering this territory to the enemy. Finally, the other reason that you may be living in less tonight, and again, I mentioned it earlier, is just you're in a place of unbelief. You're not necessarily living a life of compromise or sin, but for some reason you are feeling overwhelmed. The enemy has surrounded you and he has intimidated you and he has made you to believe that he is stronger and you have no possible way of escaping what he is imposing upon your life. And you're living in this fear, you're living in less and I think that um, in some cases, uh, we, we give the devil too much credit. Now, the enemy is real. And the Bible says that we do not war against flesh and blood. There are spiritual forces that wage war against God's people. Paul said we are not ignorant of his devices. He has devices. He has schemes. And he can impose a great kind of you know, uh, surrounding, imposing, threatening, intimidating kind of scenario in your life. But I need to remind you that Jesus is stronger than the devil. (laughs) Jesus made the devil, all right? Jesus is is God. He created all things. He didn't make the devil be the devil, but he made the the devil is but a, a fallen angelic being created by God himself. And Jesus is God. Jesus is stronger. And sometimes we just need to be reminded of that. And it may be that you're living in something less, 
truthfully, because you have, you're not holding on to the truth and the promises that God has given to you in his word. Yeah, you say, but pastor, you don't understand. My situation is just so, so troublesome. You know, you don't understand my past and all of the things and, and, and there's abuse in my past or the, some of the horrible things that I've done in my past. Listen, I was thinking about that tonight. You know, how, how sometimes the enemy convinces us that we can't live above this, this uh, trouble because, you know, of our past life. Uh, either what we have done in sin or what has been done to us in some form or fashion. And, and I'm not trying to minimize those things. They are, they, you know, they are impactful and can affect our lives. But I was thinking, you know, what about Mary Magdalene? How many of you remember Mary Magdalene in the, in the Gospels? You know, the Scripture says that Jesus cast seven demons out of her. Now, what, what, what kind of lifestyle do you have to live? What has to happen to you? To where you end up getting possessed by seven demons. Think about, I mean, the Bible doesn't tell us how she got in that condition. But my sense is it was dark. It was troublesome. It was abusive. It was horrible. But Jesus set her free. She was the first to see the risen Lord. She became a follower, a disciple of Christ. I was thinking of the Apostle Paul. Paul himself said, you know, I'm the least likely to be the apostle. The things I did, I was an insolent man, angry. I, I arrested Christians. I drugged them to be punished. I, I helped them be put to death. Think of the, the, think of the guilt and condemnation that might have shadowed his life and ministry. But he became the apostle Paul. And Paul said, I am what I am by the grace of God. And if the grace of God is sufficient in these examples, it is sufficient for you and me tonight. I want you to recognize that this same Paul, who was this persecutor and this hater of Christians, after he was converted and became this wonderful minister, listened to his words in 2 Corinthians 5.17, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. If you're in Christ, the devil can't touch you. The devil has no authority. Oh, he can intimidate. He can surround. He can bluster up and and threaten. But nothing can separate you from what God has purposed for you in your life. And those things are good. 2 Corinthians 10, verse 3. For though we walk in the flesh, we do not war according to the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty in God. For pulling down strongholds, casting down arguments and every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God. Bringing every thought into captivity to the obedience of Christ. God has equipped us to fight the battle. I'm not saying the battle isn't going to continue to, to rage. It will But God has given you what you need to be victorious. Last verse, and then we're going to pray. Romans 8.37 Yet in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am persuaded that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, that would include the devil and all his demons, 
nor things present, nor things to come, nor height, nor depth, nor any other created thing shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. All right, let's, let's pray. Father, as we close here tonight, we want to thank you for this passage in 1 Samuel that reminds us that though the enemy may threaten and intimidate, you are greater. And Lord, greater is he that is in us than he that is in the world. We do not have to live in that place. We do not have to live surrounded in fear, in anxiety, in worry, intimidated, constantly wondering how we're going to make it, how are we going to get out. Lord, we can rise up in confidence. And Lord, we can rise up in prayer and we can rise up in ministry. And just as Saul stirred up the people, Lord, I pray that our hearts would be stirred tonight, that we would become zealous for the kingdom. Lord, that we would become zealous for one another and that we would come alongside one another and stir one another up to love and to good works. And as we close here tonight, Lord, I I do believe that you put it in my heart, even preparing for tonight, that we should pray. That we should pray specifically for these three areas tonight. And the first area, if you'll just kind of bear with me in a moment of prayer here tonight. The first area, of course, I want to pray for anyone that may be here that is unsaved. And what I mean by unsaved is you have never come into a personal relationship with God through faith in Jesus Christ. And you know in your heart, I need a Savior. I need someone to save me, to forgive me. I need someone to to empower my life for a future and a hope. I'm living in despair. I I have no, no help from anyone. I have no idea how to even help myself. And if you're here tonight and you don't know Christ, but the Lord is speaking to you and you want to receive him, you want to embrace what he has done for you at the cross and be forgiven and be filled with his spirit tonight, I want to pray for you. That's the first prayer response. If you're here tonight, and I'm simply going to ask you to raise your hand. If you're here tonight and you want to receive Christ, now's the time. God bless you. Any, other, any others? Anybody else? You know you need the Lord. He's speaking to you. Another hand back here. God bless you. Anyone else? God bless you, ma'am. As well. You need Jesus. He's here to save you. He's here to love you. He's here to rescue you, to forgive you, to cleanse you. Anyone else? All right, let me pray for these that have responded. Anyone else? Just before I pray, I don't want to leave anybody out on this one. This is the first step. So, Lord, I do thank you for these hearts responding to you tonight. I believe, Lord, that you have spoken to their heart. Just as the Spirit of God stirred Saul, so you are stirring them. And, Lord, you're telling them that you love them. You're telling them that you sent your Son to die on the cross for their sins. And so we come tonight. And those that have responded, Lord, this would be our prayer. We would say, Jesus, please forgive me. Not because I deserve it, not because I have earned it, but because you loved me enough to die on the cross for my sins. And because your life was sinless and you were perfect and you rose again from the dead, 
giving evidence of your victory over sin, death, and the grave, I am asking you to cleanse me and forgive me. I'm receiving it by faith, and I'm asking you to become the Lord and the center of my life. Begin to change my heart, Lord. Move into my life. Give me the help that I need now to live in relationship with you. In Jesus' name. The second area that I'd like to pray for tonight are those that are living in less as a result of compromise. This is a sober moment for you, and I I know you might even be embarrassed to raise your hand, but it's between you and the Lord. This is a, a step for you in faith. If you're living here, if you're here tonight, and you know that your life is compromised, you know the Lord, but you're not living for Him. You're living, you've let sin, you've let some kind of habit, addiction, or just some distraction that has begun, taken root in your life. And now the consequences of it, the, the living in less is becoming very much a reality. God wants to set you free. God wants to set you back on course. Tonight is your night to repent. Repent means to turn from the, what you're doing, to acknowledge it, and to confess it to God is to receive forgiveness and to move forward in the peace and joy, the so much more that he has for you, the more than conquering. If you're here tonight and that describes your condition, I would ask you also to raise your hand so that I can pray for you. Anybody here tonight? God bless you as well. Number of hands. Any others? Bless you. God bless you, ma'am. You, sir, as well. Anyone else? Now, in the same way that we read tonight, the Lord allows circumstance to buffet us, not to destroy us. He'll even allow the enemy to intimidate you and surround you, not to destroy you, but to rescue you, to awaken your heart, to awaken your conscience. I need somebody to save me. Lord, forgive me. So this is, a, this is an encouraging night for you tonight. It's not a night to feel condemnation, but rather a night to be encouraged to know that God loves you and will take you from here and move forward. Father, for these that have responded, I pray that you would meet them again with your love and with your mercy. I pray that they would be honest in their heart and simply say, God, I am, I am compromising. I am not living in the light, in the truth that I know you've called me to. And I'm accommodating these things in my life. And they're beginning to bring the consequence, the, the, the less than, than I really desire. I don't want to be a living. I don't want to be on the margin, Lord. I don't want to live in this shadow. I don't want to be some pretender. God, I want to live for you. I want to walk in the light. Please forgive me. And now, God, please deliver me, strengthen me, break these chains that are binding me, these distractions, God, and set me on course with you again. I rededicate, I recommit my heart to you in earnest tonight. And I ask you by your grace to set me on the rock that will be stable and would be fruitful and will bring about your good purpose. Amen. Finally tonight, and then we'll close in a song of worship, I want to pray for those of you that are 
living in less because not necessarily because of compromise but rather because of your i would just say not really embracing the promises of god you've let the enemy intimidate you you've let circumstance kind of rule you and run your thoughts and your minds and the word of god and the promises of god and the the confidence of god those things are not in your mind rather the circumstance the dilemma the intimidation you know uh, we're going to p- poke your eyes out is what you're hearing in your head and you need to you need to as we read you need the bible says that god has given us weapons to take every thought captive to the obedience of Christ. The mind is the battleground. And that's where the enemy wants to intimidate through circumstance, through fear, through intimidation. And the Lord wants you to know tonight that he has no power in the life of the believer. You can stand on the promises of God tonight and trust him. He will bring you through. Hasn't he brought you through in time past? And he will continue to bring you through and be faithful. If that's your heart tonight and you need to just come back to standing on the promises and acknowledge that you're letting fear and intimidation rule your thoughts, then I want to pray for you. I'm asking you to raise your hand. Anybody here tonight? Quite a few of us. Quite a few of us. Yeah. Amen. Anybody else? Anybody need to put up two hands? Okay. <laughs> All right. Hear the word of the Lord, church. I'm convinced this is the Holy Spirit speaking to you. I I really believe he put this in my heart for you tonight. That he wants you to look to him. That he wants you to trust him. That he wants you to anchor your heart in his promises. You've got to rise up and take your thoughts captive. Don't let those fears and worries run you. You put God's word back on your plate. You put God's promises back before your eyes. You put the truth of God back in your conscience. Jesus is stronger than the devil. And the promises of God are sure. And he will prevail. Yes, there will be challenges. Yes, there will be trials. Yes, there will be uh, difficulty. But God will deliver you through them all. And this is our hope tonight. So God, for those responding, we ask that you would just break the, the bondage of intimidation, Lord. God, that you would just set your people free tonight. Lord, we're not just here to weep over what's going on. We're here to, to be aroused in zeal and say, enough. We're to be living in the promises of God, in the hope, in the joy, in the peace we are, our sins are forgiven. We have an eternal future and hope and eternity with God. He is faithful in this life and in eternity. And Lord, the enemy has no power over the life of the believer. Sin will not be master over us, nor will intimidation and fear. You've not given us a spirit of fear, but of power, love, and a sound mind. So Lord, set your people free tonight that we might walk in the fullness of what you have for us. We ask it all in Jesus' name. Amen.